0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. We are joined by special guests, Courtney, Maria, Maxine, to talk with us about some work that they've been doing on a interactive title for Netflix called Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Courtney, Maria, and Maxine, can you give brief introductions of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Courtney, may as well start?
1: Sure. I'm an engineering m- manager here at Netflix, and I manage the team that does a video player for all of our TV apps. So anytime you see the Netflix app on smart TVs or set-top boxes, the video player inside that is done by my team. And what's your favorite? App well, today I'm going with a nice cup of tea. Is it at least green tea? It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all <album>. right. <laughs>
0: Maria,
2: I work uh, right over next to Courtney, and I manage the engineering team that builds the video player for the website, as well as uh, the Windows app and Chromecast. And the way to think about this is if you come to Netflix.com, you see an amazing UI built by some of our um, counterparts in the UI engineering org. But the moment you click play, there is a ton of magic that happens underneath in order to get you Um, to the actual video frames and you enjoying Bandersnatch. And my current uh, beverage is a gin and tonic, which is one of my favorite drinks. But if somebody wants to talk sour beer, uh, we could probably spend an hour doing that as well.
0: I I could do that with you. Perfect, Maxine.
3: Hi, my name is Maxine. I'm an engineering manager on our UI engineering um, org. So my team is called the Interactive Experiences UI team. Uh, we actually build the UI experience for things like um, branching narrative, a band or snatch across our TV, our web, and our mobile platforms.
0: Right on. Well, thank you all for joining us. So before we get started give introduction of today's panelists. Jem, you want to start it
4: off? Jem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix and the only non-manager in the room right now.
0: Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
4: I mean, it probably means I'm too all the coding. You guys <laughs> that's about that's true. True. We just <laughs> talk kidding. about it. All right, that's tell fair. You what to do.
0: I am Ryan Burgess, a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that, if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Branching. 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 All right. So if we say the word branching at all in the episode, we'll all take a drink. And yes, Maxine, branch, we'll, we'll consider that as well. All right, let's start. What is Banner Snatch? For those who maybe haven't seen it, how? what is Banner Snatch? How is Netflix involved in this experience? How is engineering involved with Banner Snatch?
3: I can take that. So Banner Snatch is um, our first interactive title geared towards adults. Um, it is a Black Mirror interactive film. So it's made by Charlie Brooker, Annabelle Jones, and uh, it's really our first attempt at branching narrative title Cheers. <laughs> geared towards an adult audience. So we've actually been doing these types of interactive titles before, but mainly geared around kids. Um, it was kind of an experiment around, you know, we think kids um, have a lower barrier to entry. They're more used to interacting um, with things in general. And so this was our first kind of um, adult Title
0: around dinner, our- uh, which honestly was a great title to start with too, because like Black Mirror is amazing. It, it kind of made the most sense, but I gotta say I was a little, I was a little skeptical as an adult, being like, am I gonna like an interactive piece? But I think what for me as a fan of the show and being able to watch it, it was just it felt so seamless and so great of an experience that. It didn't feel painful trying to like interact with it, especially on a TV where you're like, oh, I'm trying to sit back and just enjoy this. But you, you can still do that, which is pretty powerful.
3: I think it was really important to have the right content creators that had the right mindset on how to create that engaging type of story and not be like a gimmick. Um, it is a challenge, I think, for people to kind of pick up that remote and start engaging with the the um, title because they are used to like, hey, I'm going to sit back and watch something on Netflix. So um, so are definitely some of the challenges we faced around that.
4: Banner such was great because it's it's really representative of what netflix is as a company it's always the age-old debate are we a content company are we a like tech engineering company and to me like i was not involved in the creation of Banner Snatch, like most people in this room but it it really like bridged that divide between like part of it's on the content creator they have to create this narrative that works with the idea of branching but on the engineering side it's like you have to create this brand new experience and like push it out to people who have never seen anything like it it's like right there in the middle. And that's when I first saw Banner Snatch, I was blown away. I was like, I quote you, quote myself, uh, I was like, literally, I was like, this is why I work at Netflix. This is so cool. I'm so impressed with the engineering team that built this.
2: I think it was pretty unique in the sense that it's really the first big title where, yes, there's engineering and yes, there's the content, which is true for pretty much anything that we do where there's original content. But in this case, it wouldn't exist unless all of the pieces were actually working together and were being developed at the same time. It wouldn't, of course, it wouldn't exist unless you create content that's that's meant for for branching. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) It doesn't work if you don't have the content that's specifically created for that. It doesn't work if you don't have a new style of UI interaction that's specifically created for this use case. And it doesn't work if you don't have the underlying engineering to make it smooth and, and seamless. And so it's it's the first time where I think you see the power that you get from um having everything happening within the same company and and being able to innovate on every every layer. And that was that was pretty exciting. So I definitely relate to Jem's uh, feelings on the topic.
0: So I think we covered like some of the things that made banner snatch unique from like a viewing perspective. But I'm interested from a technical perspective. Obviously, Gemini are big fans of watching it, but weren't involved in the engineering efforts. What made Banner Snatch so much different than some of the kids titles that we talked about that were a very interactive piece? What's so much different? What's so much more complicated that came along with Banner Snatch?
1: Well, one of the things that was a real challenge for my team was getting all of the transitions after someone has made a choice, um, getting them to happen seamlessly. My team considers ourselves a success when you don't even notice what we've done. When our player just disappears into the background and you can just be immersed in the content. For this title, it was much more challenging than usual. We had to think about how to make sure the right video and audio was there in time to make that transition smoothly. And then there was a lot of work. Um, really, it was the most cross-functional project we've worked on, working with the encoding team, working with the UI team, through design to make sure that it was possible to stitch the video and audio together at the right points in the content
0: well because each of those videos are pieced like they're not it's not one seamless video watching it it felt like one it just felt like i was watching something that was very linear but it wasn't it was multiple pieces of video which i think that's where to your point courtney is like i didn't even realize that was happening which is a cool experience
3: what was great is I think people who were fans of it, people who would call out the seamlessness, like I think you did at the beginning, whereas cause I think when you're watching content, you usually don't think about it, right? Like if it just plays, um, you know, high quality, that's what you're looking for. But people notice like, wow, that transition was so seamless. Like I didn't because the expectation is like, oh, it's something's going to be delay or something, right? Like, and I think that's the great work that the player teams did to really make that experience.
0: I mean, I expected like a black screen transition. It was like, oh, you picked this serial. Now I'm going to switch to this new video. But it it wasn't that. It was like, wait, where was, the, where was the break in between these scenes? There wasn't a break. It was just like it felt like it was all put together at once.
3: Yeah. And that was really a combination of the content being built that way and the technology. Because if you do look at our previous kids' titles, they don't have that seamless transition. We didn't have the tech yet there. And we built the content kind of accordingly knowing, hey, you're gonna have a black frame here or you're gonna have a break. So um, the, the animation was kind of built around that. There,
1: there was a, a great back and forth between the content creation and the engineering technology. We realized that if we couldn't get those seamless transitions, it was going to take away from the story. It was gonna break up the rhythm of it and and just take the viewer out of the story. So we worked really hard to get that to work as as well as possible. But at the same time, the content creators Work to craft their their uh, transitions and everything around what we could do. So it was really kind of an interesting back and forth that I haven't had before at Netflix.
0: You're right. Like usually we're creating a player, we're creating a UI, and it's just content is fed through it, and and that works. But it sounds like there was a very collaborative piece that was happening with the content creator as well as engineering, which is like that is pretty impressive.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, so my team, I think, and one of my engineers on my team, basically, you know, he was working directly with Charlie Brooker, like, you know, trying to understand what their vision was, kind of showing them what we could, could do. And so I think that was pretty neat.
0: Well, and we also created a tool to make their lives easier, correct?
3: Yes, called the Branch Manager. Woo! Cheers! cheers,
0: cheers. cheers. cheers.
3: <laughs> Brian set that up.
0: I definitely did. <laughs> But yeah, there,
3: did, there wasn't tools, um, because one thing about banner that just is it's super complex, right? Like, it's not kind of a traditional non-linear <laughs> story um, <laughs> with, like, you know, two branches. I don't know how else to get around that. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> two paths. And so, you know, there's a lot of state tracking that goes on, right? Um, there's a lot of different logic. And so just creating that graph, there just wasn't tools that existed for that. So we did create a new tool for them to help them with that workflow.
0: Which also, I, in return, I believe it helped feed some of the data on our end as well.
4: Yes, it's great that like uh, the engineering team pushed the bounds of what is possible in in terms of interactive content. But for a show like Black Mirror, which talks all about like the edge of technology and the consequences, like it—it's very meta. <laughs> yeah, it's so meta, but it's so it's so great on this other level that I don't think people that uh, understand the challenges behind it. Like they probably don't even know yet that it it just all works together. It, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of Bandersnatch. I,
2: I think one of the things that I um, think was very rewarding from an engineering pr- perspective and also uh, very frustrating and, and difficult at times when we were working is I, I like to think that Netflix has a really high bar for quality and something that if you're if you're a Netflix customer and you normally use your TV or you normally use your phone, you think about the couple of devices that you have. You rarely have to think about the fact that there's literally hundreds of different of flavors of, of, of hardware and underlying systems that we want to make Netflix in general work well on. And with Bandersnatch and, and, and the seamless experience, that challenge was was amplified. Um, on Courtney's, and I will in a moment, uh, would love for her to elaborate on, on Courtney's side with the TVs and, and set-top boxes, there's such an array of, of hardware and you have to get it to work with all of that. But even on the browser, there's there's challenges that a lot of times we don't have to think about because we develop something and if it works on the number one or two devices, maybe it's an app or a website, then you're good. But you really want to get the best possible experience everywhere. And I looked at some of these challenges and I honestly was, was forced into thinking about the underlying implementation of the browser or the hardware because we wanted to, to have everything work flawlessly. Even something like me not having control over how the browser crossfades between two pieces of audio. That's not something in my five years at Netflix I've ever had to think about as much as I had to think about during Bandersnatch. And it it crossed, so this project crossed not just from the content creation and and the Hollywood side of things to the engineering, but also reached deep into even thinking about, about hardware and how audio waves are being processed on the piece of technology that you use to watch Bandersnatch. And I'm sure Courtney had a lot more of those battle stories. Yeah, this is
1: the main, Source of my anxiety around this release. Um, for for as Maria said, we had to get way down in the details of how each different device handles video and audio, handles transitions between two different pieces. And for my platform, there are just so many different device models out there. Everything from the brand new 4K TV that just came out last year to a you know five six year old set top box. Um, and we had to make this work across such a broad set of conditions and and make sure the experience was was great across all of those. So it was a really challenging problem. We had to think about different ways of doing our, our um, QA for this project than we usually use. Um, and that was a big challenge too.
0: <laughs> what kind of specifically to like testing and QA was different for this scenario?
1: Well, for the most part my team is almost 100% automated testing in, in the way we qualify our software for this project. Because we're so focused on getting the seamless transitions and getting the video and audio quality perfect across transitions, we had to do a lot more manual testing. Um, in addition to that, we we instrumented the transitions so that we could um, measure them. Basically, we 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 did write a bunch of new automation. And then um, put instrumentation in place so that we could measure how the transitions behaved while running under automation as well. So it was like a multi pronged approach to try and test it.
0: Yeah, well, especially when it's like a large new piece that's happening within the company, too. You don't have all the tooling and infrastructure ready for it. Obviously, like some manual testing is absolutely necessary. To have it from the user perspective as well.
2: One thing to add to that was go- going back to this idea that, uh, you know, this was happening across the en- engineering, UI engineering and-, and content. All of this was kind of sort of being developed at the same time, which meant that even some of our existing tooling uh, around automated testing, we couldn't use it because think about this. You actually have a special UI for Bandersnatch. But if the UI is not ready yet, you need a different decoupled way of actually triggering those same transitions. So one of the things that we did pretty early on is we, um, for the browser player, we built a standalone testing page where we could test some of the uh, code that we were writing before we had the UI, the choice UI, and before we had the content. So we actually took regular content and pretended that it was a branching piece of content. Sorry, cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. We we took this this standalone tool where we could vet out the the changes that we were making without having the UI or without having the content, and then as we started having the content, we could test on on the real the real. Band or snatch, right? But without necessarily coupling with the UI, because it was important for us to trigger our own transitions and uh, be able to walk through the, the graph of choices in, you know, repeatable but randomized paths and so on. So it was actually quite fun to think about how do we collaborate so everything comes together at the end, but during the development process we stay sufficiently decoupled so we can be making progress
3: at the same time.
0: Maxine, I'm assuming that's pretty much on the UI. You had to do things that were abnormal?
3: I think one of the challenges for my team is that we're actually a cross-platform team. So we're working with each of the player teams in terms of supporting the new functionality for each platform. And then um, my team has Um, all four platforms that we need to test on the UI side. You know, there's a lot of content to go through. There's a lot of logic, I would say, around um, what we call state tracking, right? So that Frosties or Sugar Puff choice you made actually shows up later in the content. And that's all um, logic that the UI is maintaining. And so, you know, just complexities around how do you vet out all the hundreds of different paths and making sure that they're consistent was one of the challenges we had. Um, And so... uh, along with kind of uh, integrating with all the new pl- playback tech, I would say.
0: Which I got to say too, is like, even just that as when you make a choice and that it's like repeated or brought up later is so impressive. It's it's subtle, but it's there. And you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Which obviously adds to the engineering complexity because you're like, great, that's just something else I have to track and keep state and remember that that was the choice that was made and then make sure that that video is loaded at the next choice.
4: I would imagine a big challenge is, you don't know what you don't know. Like, you, you had these, you, you've you done uh, branching narratives with kids. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Cheers.
3: Snuck it in but there. But with
4: this one, there's no no loading. It had to be seamless. And this is like a big tentpole title that a lot of resources went into. And you only have one chance to get it right. Because if you get it wrong the first time, people will be like, oh, it's a gimmick. It doesn't really work well. Like, what what was the most unexpected challenge? I'm sure when they handed you the the project, you probably said, like, what? But... During the, the process, what is something that you didn't expect to be as hard as it was? I'm sure there's a lot. I'm
1: trying to think. I think I've kind of
2: blocked them all out at this point.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's out the door. You're done. <laughs> She's on the beach already. Hands down, yeah.
2: hands down. I have to say audio. That's what I was going to say, but uh, it wasn't I, yeah. on my team. <laughs> I, I've been, from an engineering perspective, for me and I think for Courtney and, and the other the other player teams as well, the mobile teams, uh, I've been at Netflix for five years and three months. and it's not that I don't like thinking about audio. We're, we're doing audio right now with this podcast. But generally, there's a lot more cycles being spent on the video component because it's generally more complicated. But for this, I was not prepared for how much we had to think about audio and getting that, um, that to be seamless. Uh, I don't want to kill anybody's Bose speakers, mm-hmm. right? Or their ears. Or know? their ears. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. And correct me <laughs> if I'm
0: wrong too, is it's the video and audio were separate. Yes. And so to me, anytime that happens, that's a challenge in itself is trying to make sure that- Oh,
2: even the syncing, Exactly, yeah. Yeah. like, yeah. so
0: just knowing that, I, I, don't, I don't think I really thought about that until the talks that you all gave at a JavaScript talks uh, that we hosted at Netflix. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that makes sense that that has to be separated. But how much more challenging that is, (laughs) like just just from an outside perspective is like, oh, man, that's not easy.
3: Yeah. And like to Maria's point, we focus a lot on video and like the visual. Right. And you want that seamless, no black transition. But if you listen to it, you also want that transition to make sense, too. And kind of the audio. Transitions like, you know, continuing across the segments is really important to keep you in that world because that can be very jarring, right? Like in, t- in t- hearing a pop or just suddenly the audio changes, right? So
0: You don't want the black screen, but if there's a pop or weirdness, then your seamless video... Doesn't really look great anymore, just because that it throws the user off at that point.
2: And the soundtrack for Bandersnatch was so amazing that we really had to do it justice. I I might have listened to it a little too many times (laughs) in December, but we we had to do right by the audio.
4: Definitely a good one. So was the primary challenge uh, is there's say a background audio track during a a choice point, and you had to continue that no matter which which point they chose. That was one of the challenges. Yeah,
1: being able to get to sort of stitch two separate, two disparate pieces of audio together and have it play without a click or a pop or any kind of artifact is was in a lot of ways more challenging than getting the video to play seamlessly across. And then the third piece, if you got both video and audio looking and sounding good, you had to make sure they were in sync. So those three um, pieces of the puzzle and doing it across all of the browsers, all the different conditions, all the different devices we support. Um, that that was the complexity of it.
3: Yeah, there's different challenges on every platform for for audio, including the mobile platform.
0: Which I have thought like, yeah thinking that the tv ecosystem i'd feel like is even harder but even mobile like especially Mm -hmm. android there's such a a vast difference of devices that you're dealing with so i I feel like that ecosystem is large enough and then browsers of course have their own fun and quirks that you have to deal with all the time so yeah all around there's not one perfect device either that would have been nice and easy so on this podcast, we we mainly focus on front-end JavaScript, and the interesting thing is, is what we're talking about here is a lot of JavaScript. What can you tell us about JavaScript and how this helped make Banner Snatch so interactive?
1: Well, for my platform, we couldn't have done it if we didn't have a JavaScript video player, because the way it works is Netflix sh- ships a library on all of our devices when they are, when they are manufactured. And that library, is, it's written in C++ and it ships as a binary on you know new TVs or or what have you and it's usually pretty hard to update it after it goes out so if our video player was included in that library instead of being a javascript downloadable piece we wouldn't have been able to innovate on it across the whole ecosystem um and do the work we needed to support this it would almost title. be just
0: for like new devices or ones that you're yep. like, okay, well, this is going to be a new device so we can ship this new feature. Yeah,
2: so it, it was basically the difference between being able to do it at all or not. That's awesome. Yeah, and from, from my perspective, to add to that, of course, uh, our video player runs in uh, in the browser. So naturally, it's in, it's in JavaScript, even though it's actually written in TypeScript and then transpiled. But um, the ability to have JavaScript actually plays a big role in us being to uh, innovate across the teams because there's components of uh, the playback experience that are in JavaScript that are shared between the the player that Courtney's team ships in TV devices and so on and the player that, that we ship. And so actually, as we were working on Bandersnatch, people from engineers from both of our teams were working together on the same shared module of JavaScript code, and that really enabled us, I think, to... Um, to speed up things a little bit uh and 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 learn from each other and and figure out how to do this in in an efficient way, so yeah. I think having that common language is, is critical
1: that's really true If you
2: think about all the work
1: that we did if if we'd had to do those two separate implementations Oy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it could be done, but it would take a lot longer. And yep. you're also not you're not getting any benefit from the shared aspect.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, our front ends are written in JavaScript as well. But I think what's great is because there is so much that was on the playback side too. So our TV UI, our web UI are all in JavaScript. I think the challenge for my team is that our mobile platforms are native, right? So there isn't a lot of sharing we can do on the UI side. So we actually do push a lot of the business logic onto the back end, right? So outside of JavaScript, but we really want to take advantage of some of that sharing, right? And it's very much a metadata-driven UI. So we can we can do that, which is really, I think, what helped my team in terms of coordinating and making sure we have a consistent experience across all of those devices.
0: Yeah, I think that's what, like, thinking about, we've heard the big theme of, like, How do we support across like multiple platforms? And just hearing those two pieces, whereas like some of it's going to be backend driven, but some of it is, and just leveraging JavaScript to be able to enable us to be on all these devices is pretty powerful as well.
2: And not to mention that in general, JavaScript is making its way into many people's backends these days.
0: I mean, JavaScript (laughs) everywhere. Like we hear it all the time, right? So, for better
2: or for worse, (laughs) depends on the day, I suppose.
0: So we've talked about the interactive pieces for kids. Now we have we actually have done something for adults and really up-leveled the game of Netflix and how, I don't want to use the word, um, so it's going to be more just keeping it to the interactive uh, experiences. What can we expect in the future for the technology? What are things that we want to be investing in at Netflix?
3: That's a good question. I think um, Banner Snatch definitely opens the door to us to explore more around um, adult uh, interactive um, uh content right but we're also continuing to explore around the kids and family space as well right but now we can leverage a lot of like of this new playback tech that we have and I think um, you know on the product innovation side trying to figure out what are the new um, different features or new tool sets we can offer content creators for them to kind of create different stories right like and so I think um, there's a lot of different possibilities you can use with like the Branching mechanic.
0: Cheers. Cheers.
3: Um, cheers. That will be interesting to see what they can come up with. Because in the end, our goal is to give them the tools for them to create stories they couldn't create before, right? Like, And so branching is just, crap. <laughs> cheers. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Cheers. I don't know if well I can done. keep up. <laughs> Maxine. Sorry. <laughs> it's one of the mechanics, um, but it might not be the only one we might explore around interactive content in the future.
0: I like that too, is like even creating tools is also... We're kind of getting out of the way of content creators as well as like, here's a mechanism that you can use, but we're not telling you how to do it. It's like really just giving the right tools to them and walking away and allowing content to be created the way it should be.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's really giving them the control, right? Yeah. But then um, it's just it's just new ways for them to think about bringing a story they couldn't maybe do before, right? Like on a, a linear platform, right? And, and even just um, our distribution model, right, where we can be on all these devices and um, all these different types of devices at the same time is really powerful.
4: So on top of the the audio challenges, the video challenges, the brand new player, syncing all this, the, the hardware challenges and the content challenges, you had the additional challenge of creating, making sure whatever you're creating is reusable in the future, not just one-off tools. Because like, you know, we're all engineers. We can all hack something together one time but to create it for the future is another layer of work as anybody who's like ever open sourced anything knows that like it's so much more work. So you had to roll that in top of all the other work you're doing.
3: Yeah, in a way. And the thing is, I think a lot of people don't realize is that Bandersnatch wasn't our first branching narrative title.
4: Cheers. Oh, Cheers. Cheers.
3: Our first Maxine's really killing it. Yeah.
2: And <laughs> so when really Ryan, it. When I Ryan chose sound. this, I'm like, this she is going to be She might be
0: do. winning this game.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm winning. <laughs> But it wasn't our first. And I do think if it was, it would have been a lot more difficult because we we didn't have the opportunity to build that foundation. For us, we are trying to build a reusable framework, right? Like this isn't going to be one-off just for this one title um, because we want to be able to support more of this stuff in the future. And so on the UI side, it's all metadata-driven, right? So it's not like we're building super customized UIs, and that's not the goal. It's the goal is to make it flexible for the future.
2: And I think that goes for, for the... Uh Play, playback engineering bits as well where some stuff we we build it and it's more general like some of the testing stuff we kind of started thinking about it. how do we decouple how do we make it more general as I said hey I want to be able to test Bandersnatch without having Bandersnatch right because if every time you have to wait for the next title to be available as a as a video, before you can start working against it, it's it's almost too late. But I think there's also a lot of opportunity to think about how we can generalize some of the tools that we've had. How do we think about uh, monitoring how these titles are performing in production from a quality of experience perspective? Uh, is is the video pixelated? Are we having audio issues? Those things are across titles, and some we started building for Bandersnatch, but I think it also opened a lot of of new challenges and questions where as, as Maxine said, it's not our first one. It's not our last one. And so how do we scale everything so that we can bring more of that content um, to Netflix viewers? My team learned a
1: huge amount from this project, and it really did point out um, some places where we need to shore up infrastructure support, testing support, and, and even um, re-architect the way our player works to be more flexible and more robust as we have. I mean, it may be the new interactive titles that we need to support, but it could be something different that requires more flexibility in the player.
0: Well, I mean, when you originally wrote the player, I'm sure you weren't like, oh, this is going to need to be interactive at the time, right? <laughs> right like right. It's like, so what are those future things? And the more that we can think ahead of that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. We don't know yet, right? We we don't know. What we don't know.
0: Which so. is the most interesting piece of it. That's what we love It's solving problems as engineers.
2: Every day is a new day. And a lot of the challenges are not not repeated, uh, which I it's why I like it. It's fun.
0: So at the end of each episode, we like to share picks of things that we've maybe found interesting that we want to share with our listeners. Let's go around the table and share picks for today's episode. Jam, you want to start it off?
4: Uh, Yeah. I'll start off with um, my Valley Silicon pick. For those who don't know, Valley Silicon is the pick um, where I highlight that people in Silicon Valley just have too much money and we just throw money at things that just probably shouldn't exist, but they only exist because we get paid too much money. Um one of them is the FDA issued a warning today against companies that were selling uh, young blood. So what it is, is rich people. Excuse me? Yes. So yeah, you can I, I will the- take a,
2: I'm sorry. I'll take a sip of my Pro- probably drink well, to this because one. you just said <laughs> young blood and selling in the same sentence.
4: <laughs> so they, they uh satirized it on Silicon Valley, the HBO show, which is great because that's actually a documentary about what really happens down here. But what it was is millionaires ostensibly could buy young blood. So the blood of... 18 year olds or something 20 year olds and injected them themselves and it's supposed to be some sort of life altering life extending i don't know what it's supposed to do how do we make you stop rejuvenating <laughs> yeah. oh yeah make your skin look i don't know what it's supposed to do but so I feel like i've heard this in like a bad movie <laughs> exactly but this is real life this is why it's valley silicon so the fda actually had to issue a warning against doing this because they said there's no proven benefit there are downsides there are companies that exist in Silicon Valley that do this. So uh, this is this is real life, people. This is actually happening. Uh so that's my pick for Valley Silicon is the fact that you can buy the blood of a young person and inject it into yourself. You're not advocating for it though. No, I am definitely against that. So that's an
1: anti-recommendation.
4: That is a but it's my pick for things that shouldn't exist, but only exist because there's too much money around here. Um uh, wow. my second pick, uh I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a little bit lighter. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna pick the Umbrella Academy. Yeah. Uh, it's mm. It's very different. I think had I not known it was a comic or a graphic novel, I would not have liked it. I would have been like, this is a really weird show. But understanding it came from a graphic novel and like it's shot like that, I really enjoy it. it it's a nice change from our traditional Marvel offerings, which are a bit more darker not as funny this one has like humor and it's got a lot of complex interactions i really enjoy the show maxine what do you have for us
3: so right now i'm watching on netflix is tidying up by marie kondo so everyone should konmari their lives and so
0: is this podcast bringing you joy
3: <laughs> this podcast is bringing me joy <laughs> and it does not add clutter into my house <laughs> right on <laughs> and so yes yeah, i think maybe my husband's a little bit more into it than i am but i definitely recommend people checking it out
0: have you been folding your clothes really neatly
3: Yes, in little little pockets or, or whatever. Right
0: on. <laughs> Maria, what do you have for us?
2: All right. Uh, well, at the beginning, since this is the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we, we did talk about drinks, and I mentioned the sour beer, so yep. I should do a sour beer recommendation. There is a brewery in uh, Monterey, California, uh, called Alvarado Street Brewing, and they have a line of sour beers called East of Eden, where east is spelled with a Y. Because the sour beer ah, has yeast in it, yeah. uh, hi- highly highly recommended. So that's on the drinks uh, side of things. On the keeping it light, um, I mentioned before we started recording that apparently people auto-tuning their cats on Twitter is a thing. Uh, you know, make sure that you don't pop your ears or your Bose speakers with that one. But it's kind of fun. Um, and then on the perhaps more content side of things. Um, There is a book that I want to recommend, which is called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It was written in 1985, and it might as well have been written last November. It talks about television as a medium and how it changes uh, the public discourse in general. It's a bit more focused on news rather than entertainment, but it makes a really good argument um, about why television is a different medium than than writing or audio and how it actually impacts what information you can present and what level of intellectual conversation you can have. So uh, it's quite fascinating. Uh, It is worth mentioning that I learned about this book by reading an interview with the singer from the Arctic Monkeys about his latest album called Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, which is my other pick. It's a concept album, so again, listen at your own risk. Um, So I think that book and that album and the fact that they're related kind of blew my mind. And then one last pick, which is a lot of people who know me know that I love, love space and physics. And so I'm going to give a shout out to Scott Manley, who's from the Bay Area and uh, does a lot of space related videos on YouTube. And they're highly educational and super interesting and a great uh, snack. In between my binge watching of *The Umbrella Academy*, <laughs>
4: <laughs> right on. You know that that uh, the idea of kind of like how the internet and things have changed, or just our how we how we ingest media and art, came up in a Russian doll, which is a pick last time. Yes, so it they did. talked about like why visual. Art has declined in the past thirty years, and the answer was like the internet. Like it, has it not declined; it's just moved to a different different uh, medium. Different medium, yeah.
2: yeah. It's pretty fascinating, and as all of us being being at Netflix, I think there's, uh, it, it's interesting to think about those those types of questions because we're we're creating, you know, in that medium.
0: That's really cool, Courtney. What do you have for us?
2: Oh boy, it's hard to to, hard to
0: follow that long I don't list.
1: know if I have mine or any good, but um, I, I'm an amateur musician, and lately I've been watching a lot of um bio series or documentaries about musicians, the Quincy documentary. And um, there's one about Sam Cooke as well that I thought was great. And then for books, I'm reading this really interesting book by Kelly McGonigal, who's a professor at Stanford. It's called The Upside of Stress. And it's about uh, how, you know, we always think of stress as bad and something to minimize in our life. But uh, she makes the case that it's actually a constructive thing that you should embrace. So... (laughs)
0: I like that. So I don't have to worry about stress. I can just say it's a good thing.
2: I've read some of her prior work and would plus one that recommendation. Her research is pretty fascinating.
0: Right on. Well, I'm going to only follow with one pick and it's actually kind of boring compared to all these great picks, but I'm actually choosing a foam roller for your back. Honestly, like as, as engineers who sit at your desks all the time, it's your back can get sore and, and hurt. And I actually got the recommendation from my tattoo artist uh, who's doing some work on me it was I'd ask him, I'm like you must have the worst back pain because they're literally sitting and hovering over in like weird positions and he said no it's because he uses this foam roller that's like I don't know like 30 dollars on Amazon and he uses it like one or two minutes in the morning one or two minutes in the evening and he does no back problems so I've been doing that for almost a year now and like I am not probably as consistent as it sounds he is doing it but it actually does help a lot. I feel like I don't have as much back pain and maybe my posture is a little better. I don't know if it is, but so that's that's going to be my pick.
2: Do you have a recommendation on how to get myself to start using the foam roller that is right next to my television in the living room and I've owned for three, four
0: years? Yeah, just, help. just set a reminder, you know, put it put time in your calendar for it. Like, <laughs> come on, these are these are easy problems to solve. You bunch of managers. <laughs> put in
1: your calendar. That's, exactly, that's, that's, that's the easy it. way to yeah, solve add it. Add it to your to-do list, that'll help. If yeah.
2: <laughs> time in the calendar that's actually not a that's a good idea see I told you I like she'll, she'll make
0: time for it the calendar will tell her yeah. that she's supposed to do that and she'll follow yeah it, I only so. do
2: whatever the calendar says So it's yeah,
0: pretty much the I,
4: keep, I, I was telling uh, my fiance this Lauren I was like if hackers want to break Silicon Valley or like break the web just like delete Gmail and Google Calendar. And like we would all be lost. I'd have no idea what's going on this week. I'd be all. pretty
0: bored. I don't even have That's anything to do. Yeah.
4: yeah, sweet.
2: Jim, I got to tell you that I, I'm super excited. have been super excited in the last probably fewer than 24 hours. I feel like I have a new phone. And it's really, really cool. Because genuinely I feel happiness because I feel like I have a new phone. But I don't have a new phone. What happened is I got the Gmail update and Gmail looks different on my phone but I spend so much time in Gmail on my phone that it actually feels like I have gotten a different phone and I caught myself being kind of excited oh this looks bad. different like there's some dopamine that's <laughs> something's happening in my brain and it's because Gmail looks different so you yes have a you're new right device
0: because of it
2: yeah <laughs> and so uh yeah you're right I think if they wanted to uh, take me out take my Gmail take my calendar and and I will be crippled Or I'll just take a break and, you know, have another
0: drink. So before we end the episode, I want to thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Courtney, Maria, and Maxine for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on. Where can people get in touch with you? You know, some people say Twitter, but I'm also open to hearing other examples where they can get in touch with you. Phone numbers, address, uh, (laughs) email, whatever works, LinkedIn.
3: So I told Ryan I don't have a Twitter account. (laughs) Um, So I would say you could reach me on LinkedIn. Maybe I'm not going to give my email address. Uh, My name is Maxine. Not your phone number, not
0: your address. No, I think
3: I'm okay. Okay. LinkedIn, my name is Maxine Chung, C-H-E-U-N-G, which confuses people. Uh, You can find me there.
2: You can find me on Twitter. My handle is stranger underscore cork. The quark is because I like physics, as we've established. The stranger is because strange was taken, which is the proper name for this so I really wanted strange quark um, but it was taken so I took stranger but it kind of works because I love stranger things and it's Netflixy so stranger quark uh, if you do follow me beware there's a lot of space stuff that happens on my twitter and cats as well
0: I was just gonna say the cats have to be put in there too yeah
2: there, there's cats in, in space and it's some random techie stuff
0: all right Courtney
2: well I uh, uh, like Maxine I also don't have a
1: twitter account but you can find me on linkedin Courtney Kennedy, working at Netflix, so.
0: Right on. Well, thank you all again for joining us. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe to Front End Happy Hour Podcast on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. And you can follow us on Twitter at HH.